So just so you know, um, we were all wrong. The rapture happened sometime this week. The rest of them are in heaven, and we have got it wrong. So, uh, by the way, for those who are very serious with their doctrine, that's, that's a joke. Uh, they're on holidays, so it is a, a, a type of heaven. They're away on holidays, getting a wee break. So uh, I'm sure most of them are listening online. It is the time when they let me loose in case I say something wrong like I just have. So uh, apologize in advance. I also apologize in advance. Uh, hopefully this morning uh, we'll, uh, we'll speak to you. We'll, you'll get something out of it. Uh, I've had a bad abscess this week and I've been chewing on pills and uh, what do you call those things? Antibiotics. So my brain hasn't been in a good place to make sure everything is well-rounded, but you'll soon tell me afterwards if it's not. So I wanted to wrap up this week um, with, sorry, where we've been in the summer. We've heard stories. We've heard individual stories. We've heard stories about the community, stories about what we've been doing in this place. And I want to finish with a talk this morning called The Story We Tell. The story we tell, your story, my story, together. Let me start off with a wee story. And I heard this, Jenna sent uh, a sermon uh, to a few of us whenever I was away on holidays, and I got the chance to listen to it, and it was absolutely brilliant. Um, You can maybe put it up in the group, uh, the actual church group later, Jenna, uh, one by John Tyson. And he talked about Albert Einstein. Anybody know who Albert Einstein is? We're going to have a wee bit of feedback here, good lad, because it needs to keep, keep me going. Albert Einstein, one of the smartest men in the world, E equals MC squared, isn't that it? I don't know what that means or what that's for, someone can tell me. But he was one of the smartest men in the world. And it was said of him, the story was told, that he would be sitting in meetings with other Nobel Prize winners, great mathematicians, professors from universities in his local area where he lived. They would come to his home and they would have meetings and discuss how they're going to change the world and how this equation has solved whatever it is. And a little girl who was in primary four would come and knock on the door of Albert Einstein's home and ask him to help her with her maths, or if you're American, there are no Americans here today, math, homework. Do you know what Albert Einstein done? He left the table he was at, he excused himself, and he went out to help the little girl, eight or nine years old, this true story, with her homework. And when asked why he'd done that, this was his response. Because imagination is more important than information. It's more important for me to remember what it's like to be a child and to dream. He had the homework probably done in two seconds, but he wanted to spend time remembering what it was like to have an imagination instead of all the information that he was getting in all the time. And that's what I want us to try and think about this morning as we think about our stories And there's different ways of thinking about our life and our stories. And the first one is this, data. So, we all get to start off with this. We all get to start off with random bricks that are all over the place. And we can think of it like in our life, we're just a number on a sheet. We're just a date of birth in the local health center that people, it's not personal, doesn't really mean much. With regards to spiritual things, it's maybe we know how to grab a verse or two and to say it out of context. The joy of the Lord is my strength, yes, but let me, you know, that's not reality of everyday living, sure it's not. We know how to grab things. It's random little blocks that we have, but we are all given these blocks in life to start our stories. 
We all have something to start building with. And the next thing we have is the data that is then sorted. Sorry, these are a wee bit grainy. They're off a Facebook picture. And that's where we then, in the spiritual terms, we come to a place where we, we know certain things in the Bible. We know how to share a wee bit about our faith. We know how to put a sentence together. And in life, it's about uh, putting people into different places in life. I know, I know uh, Puma from, from church. I know him from football on a Monday night. I know that person because he goes to, to, to the BB I used to go to. I went to school with that person. We have compartments in life where we know people. And then we have the next one arranged. Very, very pretty. I know some of you like to do this, arrange things. And the next one is presented visually. And when I look at this one, when I'm talking about spiritual terms, I think of, the, can you think of one person in your life that you know, you ask them to share the gospel with you, you give them the 30-second elevator speech, and they convince you to love Jesus, and they convince you to give your life to Jesus, and boom, this is, they've got it down to a visual art of how they present Jesus to you. But we also have this in our lives where on our Instagram and on our Facebook, we have people that we know and we ourselves are guilty where we have everything presented perfectly in line, all the ducks are lined up and we look great on social media. Everything's brilliant. But then the most important thing, can anybody tell me, can anybody tell me what they think this is going to build? What's it supposed to be? Could be. Do you know what the most amazing thing about these bricks are? You can use your imagination to build whatever you want. But what I want to get across this morning is that there's a certain way that we need to build. Now, we could build anything creative, and it maybe doesn't have much use, but it's a good job. But when we follow instructions, we follow plans, this is what we get. And so we've all been given the bricks, we've all been given stories, but we have a choice to make on how we build. Are we going to build our lives? Are we going to build stories and create something that doesn't have much use? It looks good. Or are we going to create something that has a purpose? And do you, know what I, do you know what I think is missing whenever people give talks like this too much? I think one of the most important things that I've talked about this morning that God has given us in our lives is imagination. Why? because our lives are meant to be fun. When people look at the stories that we have, obviously things happen in life, it's not all fun, but it's meant to be fun. It's meant to be use your imagination. So, where's the last one with the, with the house there? So I don't know about you, and what I do know about me is that I always find it a lot more easy to understand things when people use a story. Um, one, one writer, I think it was Charles Spurgeon, said that illustrations or stories are the windows in a house. They're the thing that bring light, that brings understanding. And I'm sure you can think about it right now, funny stories in your life. I was thinking about one whenever we were singing a song there, uh, because it was by, uh, what was the first one there, Paul? What do you call your English? Matt Redman. It was by Matt Redman. And I remember this story um, because it makes me laugh every time. Jason and I were invited to a Matt Redman concert in Belfast. And we were on the front row 
like imagine me in the front row. I was the same height as Matt Redman by the time he was up on the stage, so people couldn't see past me. But the thing I remember is they said, right, we're going to film this next one for his official Matt Redman video on Vimeo. You can get it. Just type it in. Uh, one day, it's a song, One Day in Belfast. And me and Jason were like, right, Jason, right, Jason. When the camera goes past, I nudge you, and we both go and close our eyes, okay? Because we need to look holy when this, when this thing goes past. And we did it. <laughs> when the camera started to go past, we're like, and put that. And every time I hear that song, but, or something by Matt Redman, I laugh. And do you know what happened in that? It created a moment. It created a moment in a story with me and, and Jason that we always talk about. And I'm sure you have people like that in your life where there's moments and stories that are created that you laugh about, that create a connection, that build something within you. And I want to talk about that this morning. And the point of a story is to illuminate something. It's not to give all the mechanics. It's not to give all the information. So what I want to say to you this morning is your life as you reflect Jesus is not to give all the, uh, the, get all the I's dotted and the T's crossed, know all the verses, know all the doctrine, know everything you need to know. Your life is to present Jesus in a way that is full of imagination and joy that draws people to you and to Jesus. Those things are important. Don't hear me say that. Those things are so important. So what story is your life telling? It all starts with how you talk to yourself. Some of us maybe talk to ourselves a wee bit more than others. It's an age thing. I do it all the time. I'm sitting in the car and Nicola says, what are you saying to yourself now, David? I must have a face that says I'm, you know, I'm talking to myself or shouting at myself. Maybe you are saying I'm not as good as they are. I have it all under control. Just one more time, that's it. Why is everyone else worse than me? Why do they not believe the same things I believe? I have this thing in my life, so I must be so much better than them. We tell ourselves that this time it will be different. We tell ourselves that it can't possibly be true about me, that thing that you've just said. This is what I've always believed, so why should I believe something new? And one thing I realized this week as I had my massive abscess, do you know what we do when there's something in our lives that is painful or is hurting? My tongue's raw at the top because I constantly rubbed my tongue over the, the tooth that was sore. I constantly touched it and poked it and made it worse. Has anybody have that with an injury? I had another injury this week, by the way, football. My ankle was wrecked too. You constantly touch it. You're more aware of it than anything else in your life, and you concentrate on it over and over and over. And that's the plan of the devil with your story. When something comes in that is hard, that is painful, that is annoying, he wants you to concentrate on that thing until it overcomes you, overpowers you, and becomes the only thing that you can think about and takes your focus off everything else. Do you know what happened? The more I poked at it, the more I got involved, it made it worse. Instead of just letting the painkillers and the antibiotics do what they're supposed to do. And so I wanna don't want to concentrate on that this, this morning. What I wanna what I wanna ask you now is what does the father speak over you? What story is he telling in your life? Let's look at some of the promises. I'm sure in here some of you have your favorite promises that you remind yourself and speak to yourself. It tells us in the Old Testament that we are to write them on the doorposts. Put them up all over the place. So we, we've actually done that. We have we had them in the kitchen, in the bathroom, all over the place, in the car, in the office, verses, things just to remind me of the story that I need to tell, the story that the Father is speaking over me. Do not fear, I am with you, Isaiah 41. 
You will keep me in perfect peace. Those whose minds are steadfast because they trust you, Isaiah 26. Take heart, I have overcome the world, John 16. The Lord makes uh, firm the steps of the one who delights in him, Psalm 37. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, Matthew 11. My power is made perfect in weakness, 2 Corinthians 12. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present the request to the Lord. Philippians 4. There are just a few of the promises that we have that are supposed to direct our story when we listen to God, the one who created us, the one who gave us the building blocks, the one who says, there you go, I'm giving you something to build a life with and to create a story that points to me. Who are you going to believe and who is the one that's going to be, let's say, sailing ship, that's a bit cheesy. But take a moment right now. Can you think of moments where God himself has broken into your personal story? What's it look like? They're called kairos moments. They're moments in time that transform. They're moments in time that redirect. They're moments in time of significance that you can think of right now in a moment. What are those moments? I encourage you today when you go home, if you have time, to think of some of those and write them down and just be thankful for them, the good and the bad. So it's the storytellers that produce most of the Bible. Do you know that the Bible is one big story. If you just dip in and out of the Bible, it's like watching Star Wars Episode 5 without all the rest of them. You don't know the context. You don't know the purpose of what you're watching. You don't know why someone has said this, whose son this is, whose father. I'll not do any more Star Wars things because you might not get it, but you understand what I'm trying to say. The Bible is a story And that whole story is pointing to the goodness of God. From Genesis right to Revelation, it is all about the goodness of God and the relationship that he wants with his people. And so Adam and Eve, we're going to start there. Because what I found is that God comes alive in the story and the Holy Spirit becomes creative in it. And it is is on purpose that we don't have the specifics. Remember what I said earlier on about imagination over information? There's a reason that Genesis doesn't give you the specific scientific truths of why the earth was formed in certain time and who done this and who done that. We're not supposed to have those specifics because it is a story written to a people at a certain time for a certain purpose. And I want to look at Adam and Eve. Do we know the story of Adam and Eve? They were created. Man was alone, given a great woman to go with him. And then they were given what? What were they given? Well, yes, they were given the Garden of Eden. What were they told? Not. Yeah, so they were given an instruction. And then what did they do with that instruction? They didn't do it. They didn't follow the instruction. That's why I put you boys at the front. You see, they helped me out. They didn't follow their instruction. And so the tree was in the garden. They ate the tree because they wanted knowledge and wisdom. And they wanted it now. So they went against God's plan because they wanted the end result without the story in between. They wanted to be like God. They wanted all the wisdom, all the knowledge, all the power, but they did not want the story that was in between that God wanted them to have. And so God wasn't keeping them from what the tree had. He simply had a plan and a timing that he wanted them to follow. I'll explain this a wee bit more. 
He had a story to write with them. He had a history to write with Adam and Eve. So Pete N. says this. This is a really good book. I encourage you to read on, on Genesis. He says, God didn't command Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because such knowledge is wrong. It's not that God didn't even want Adam and Eve to know good and evil. That is precisely what he did want. But they have to go about gaining such knowledge God's way. Obedience to God is the prerequisite for knowing good and evil. All of our stories have a God way of doing them. So they had a choice to make because love always allows a choice. And it's those choices that shape, has shaped this story and shapes our story. The choices that we make will shape where we end up. And so there's a choice to gain, their choice to gain wisdom was actually the opposite of what we are told in Proverbs. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what did they not do with the instruction? They didn't follow it. So they wanted wisdom and they wanted knowledge and they wanted to be like God. So they chose their own way when actually it was the wrong way. Can you imagine whenever we have a little girl stemless and she's only one? And if she goes near a plug, I have to stop her going near the plug. She doesn't have the understanding or the capacity in her mind to understand why I'm stopping her. But she cries when I do it because it's not fair. And this was the simplicity of the story of Adam and Eve. They just didn't understand and have the capacity to fully understand why God was doing what he was doing. And so they wanted to have the ability to run a marathon after they'd only learned to walk a few days ago. That's like Robert telling this morning, I was thinking of him when he was saying this because he ran a few marathons across the Sahara Desert, didn't you? I can't even imagine the training that that would take. But Robert, a few days after you got your hip replacement, what would have happened if you tried to run a marathon? Exactly. Timing. There's a process. There's stuff that needs to be done to strengthen and to mature and to get to a place where, who knows, you maybe walk a marathon soon. That's what Adam and Eve wanted to do. And the serpent came along and he wanted to rewrite their story. He says, let me help you deviate from God's plan for your life. That's not what he said, but that's what the background message was. Just like this story, the devil wants to spin half-truths to you. You know that Adam and Eve, like, I know some, some churches spin it that they were just evil and full of sin. But Adam and Eve were just young and naive. They were just like you and me. They weren't bad. They weren't horrible, rotten sinners. They were just normal people caught by a crafty salesman. They weren't at a place of maturity to understand fully what was happening. And his job as the enemy was to drive them away from wisdom and life to foolishness and death. And there were consequences. Does anybody remember what Adam and Eve done after they ate off the fruit or ate the fruit off the tree? What did they do? They done two things. They, ha they, they hid. And what else did they do? What were they? They were naked. Uh, 
So they covered up their nakedness. Can you imagine a, uh, a two-year-old running about the beach, stark naked? Okay, don't, well, actually, don't imagine that. You've all seen <laughs> a two-year-old running about the beach, stark naked. Imagine I, could, I said to you, I could give them a biscuit. And as they ate that biscuit, they had the mind of a 25-year-old. What would happen? They would realize that they were naked. Because they, they wouldn't know what to do with it. Because a two-year-old doesn't know what shame is. A two-year-old doesn't know the rules. A two-year-old doesn't know that you shouldn't run around naked. But a 25-year-old all of a sudden would start to feel shame but not understand how to deal with it and not understand what it was. And it was the same with Adam and Eve. As they wanted something that they weren't ready for yet, they all of a sudden realized all these feelings that they had and their minds started to change and they weren't ready because they hadn't walked out the story that God had planned for them and the purposes that God had for them. What did, what did God do with them in the garden? He walked with them. He walked with them. And I believe God's heart, I, I don't believe God was angry when he seen that they at the tree. I believe his heart was broken because he said, I had so many more plans to walk with you. I had so much that I wanted to teach you. So many stories and moments that I wanted to build into your life so that when you are ready for all the wisdom of knowledge and good, of good and evil, you will be ready because my plans are perfect. And so the choice, their choice led to a deviation in their story. Their choice led to a deviation from God's timing. But here's one of the most important things that I want you young people to hear this morning, no matter what you do. It did not lead to a deviation. Does anybody know what deviation means? Moving away from God's love. It didn't move him away from God's love. It didn't change God's love. It didn't change how much he wanted them, how much he wanted to chase after them, how much he loved them. That did not change no matter what they deviated or were, how they moved away from him. And so things go wrong. And if we want to grow up without experience, things go wrong. Has anybody seen the film Big by Tom Hanks? No? You need to go watch it. I think it's on Disney Plus. Okay? But it's a film about Tom Hanks. He's a 12-year-old boy. Who want, he wants to get out of the house from his mum. It's a bit like Daniel now. He just wants to go, oh, I want to get out of the house. I want to be big. He wanted to get out of the house, and he wished one night that he would be big. And guess what happened in this Disney film? He woke up the next morning. He was a 35-year-old man, and he was living in New York, and he didn't have a clue what to do. And in the middle of this film, he realizes, I do not know how to handle life as an adult. He wanted something that he wasn't yet, didn't yet have the capacity for because he didn't have the stories and he didn't have the maturity to deal with it. And so the devil told Adam and Eve, you will be like God. It was a half-truth. God has made us in his image, but he wants us to be like him in character as we walk in his ways, in his timing. So I want to tell you this morning, do not look down on the process of your life story. Every single part of your life is important in building where you're going. Every single part. But one more thing. It's not just our story that can be affected when we deviate. 
When we read on in Genesis, we hear about the story of Cain and Abel. Anybody know what happened there? Good lad. This is why I have them at the front. You need to get them some sweets after this. Genesis 4, we're nearly there. Genesis 4, verse 4 to, uh, 8 to 12 says this. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And then verse 12 says, no longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on earth. So, there was consequences to the choice that he made that changed the story, that changed his life where it was going, that had an impact on his life. But here's the other thing. When we read on in uh, Exodus, Genesis and Exodus, does anybody know what a genealogy is? No adults? Come on, adults. A timeline, that's good, that's better than I could explain it, a timeline of your family, such and such as brother and granny and granda and uncle and mother, and it's a timeline of their lives. What happened with Cain's timeline in the Bible? Does anybody know? We don't hear much more about it. It stopped because of this. And then his younger brother became the one who God chose. That doesn't happen very often. It's always the older brother. But his younger brother, Seth, became the one who God chose to be the father of the children of Israel. It was Abraham that was born out of Seth's family line. I know that's a bit hard to explain. Adults, you know what I'm saying. So what I want to say to you this morning is the choices that we make in our story have the, the power, power, to affect family lines for generations beyond us. Whether that's to do with how you think about yourself, an addiction, a mindset, finances. We could go on all day for the things that it can affect. And you have the power to either leave things as they are, or in some cases in your family, to rewrite it. In my dad's side of the family, he was the first Christian in about 10 generations. My dad chose to rewrite the story of the McBrides. And I stand here today because of it. You have the power with your story to rewrite for generations to come. The story of Adam and Eve, and we'll not get into this too much this morning, it mirrors the story of the children of Israel. They were banished from a garden. They wandered in the wilderness. But ultimately, this is the lesson that we want to learn from Adam and Eve and also from the children of Israel is that we need to learn to listen to God, to follow His ways, and only then we will fully live and our stories will be fully written. And so the story of Adam and Eve and even the children of Israel, it's not so much about them but it's about a God who never let go of them throughout their whole story. No matter what the main character's done, I don't know who the main characters are in Leviticus. There's not much there going on in there. No matter their faults, no matter their sins, no matter their doubts, no matter how distant he seemed in all the stories that we read in the Old Testament, he never let go of his people. I want to remind you of that this morning no matter what you're going through, what you're facing, he will never let go. 
never let go. Stories are so important because they give our present, which is now, shape and context. When we take time to get to know someone's story, we then start to understand why they behave the way they do, why they say the things they say, why they have what they have, why they, who, who they are. And so I want to encourage you this morning that it's a season for us to get to know the stories of the people around us, to give us context and shape. But it's also important for us to get to know people in our villages, in our towns where we live, in the place where we live. It's really important for us to understand the context of this island. Not just what side we've been brought up in, but all sides. Understand the context of why people think the way they do and behave the way they do. Because it brings shape and context to the now. And you know what? It's also really important for us to do that with the Word of God. It's important for us to understand who it was written to, why it was written, when it was written. Not just read it and pluck things out. Well, let Neil deal with that when he gets back. He's better at explaining that. But it's really good for us to understand the stories of the people around us, the story of the Bible, the story of our community, the story of our cultures. And if you want to be a missionary, it's really important for you to understand the story of the culture you're going into. If there's anybody here going to be a missionary, already got some here. So, don't look down on your story. A few weeks ago, I was at um, Ingvar Gray's funeral, David Gray's mum. And they told some amazing stories about an amazing lady, even at the end in pain, how she just continued to point to Jesus. And it made me ask this question, what stories will they tell of me when I'm gone? It won't be about what I have had or the car that I drive or how good I was at football on a Monday night. What stories will they tell of the people that I impacted and the lives that were changed and the people that met Jesus? We're responsible for the shape that our story takes. We can't control it all. We can't but we can make the right choices that shape it. We can choose the narrative of how we talk about our story, how we talk about our lives. We can choose the tone with which we live out our story in a day-to-day -day basis. So what, what story is your life telling today? Does it point to Jesus? Do we walk in the promises that I talked about at the start? We're allowed to be real. We're allowed to have our down days because actually those are part of the stories of the doubts and the failures and the hard times. It's all part of something that, that starts to grow us and mature us. And so the church cannot be built with just my story and your story. It has to be us all together. And that's why we place so much emphasis on getting to know each other through hearing and listening and having more than just one person up here speaking on a Sunday. Andrew Carnegie, he said this quote, which I love. It's the end bit that, that I want to focus on. Teamwork is the ability to work together towards a common vision, the ability to direct individual accomplishments towards organizational objectives. But this is the key. It is the fuel that allows common people to attain uncommon results. And so one of the things I love, say, when we're doing the fostering, I love it because it's really hard. <laughs> it 
It's really, really hard. But I love it that I can phone five or six other people in this church that have a story that are on the same sort of storyline, have the same things happening, and we can talk, and we can help each other, and we can work through it, and we can work together. And there's other things like that within this community, within this church family, that as we work together and let our stories intertwine and come together, then we can attain uncommon results where people go, what is happening in that old rundown pub with, I, sorry, I covered up the, the watermarks, with the water leaking everywhere? What's happening in there? I want to finish with just a story. Started with a story, going to end with a story. Does everybody see this? Isn't it amazing? Does anybody know what it is? It's a, it's a rugby player's face, but it's a rugby ball, right? Now, if you walked into a drop-in charity shop, would you buy that? No? Let me tell you about this. This was bought for me on my 16th birthday by a man called Gerald Titmus. Apart from my father and my grandfather, he was the next man in my life, apart from the boys now, you're not men yet, that I loved. This man poured into me and looked after me and encouraged me. He worked for the Baptist church and he'd done all their kids camps and he was full of joy and love. Such an amazing man. I broke my back playing rugby. Sorry, actually, this, is, this was after, just after this. I broke my back playing rugby. Um, for school, my last ever match for school. And I was in Belfast and he lived in Belfast. And no matter how big you get, you always want your mummy when something happens, especially something scary like that. And next thing, who arrives into Royal Victoria Hospital? This man, Gerald Titmus. And I broke down in tears. And he came and he spent the whole time with me. And then he got me home and he came and he looked after me and he helped out. And when it was my birthday, he brought me this to cheer me up because I couldn't play rugby. And then I remember I got a phone call one day to say, Gerald's not been very well. Didn't know anything about it. And I went into the hospital. And I still remember because they were spraying Paco Rabanne. I can't have that aftershave anymore because of the smell of the room. And this man that was a big, you know, maybe 20 stone was now 10 stone. And in liver failure. But he hadn't told anybody. Because he was the joy of the party. He was always full of, you know. And I remember going in with him and holding his hand. And I got to tell him how much I loved him. Never told him before, because men don't do that. How much I appreciated him in my life. And I was the last one to see him alive. Later on that day, he passed away. And I'm telling you all that because this has massive value to me. Not because it's an ugly looking wee rugby thing because of the story, the stories that it holds within it. When I look at this, I have moments of joy, moments of grief, moments of doubt. God, why did you take such an amazing man so early? You're only 40. I'm nearly 40 now, my goodness. There's value in the stories in your life. No matter how hard those parts are, no matter how joyful they are, there are value in them all because like Adam and Eve, they are building towards a maturity 
They're a part of the story of God, no matter how much you deviate. And so in the film Big, in one of the main scenes, he goes back to where he lived and he watches the things that he's been missing. Graduating school, playing baseball with his friends, making angels in the leaves. And he starts to cry because he realizes he hasn't had any of it. And so I want to finish on this morning with your story. Do not be concentrating so much on something ahead that you want to attain, that you think you need, that you miss right now the present of what God is doing with you. It's good to plan ahead. It's good to have a goal. It's good to have vision. But he wanted so much, something so much in this film that he lost so much. So as you think about your story this morning, Let's not be looking so far ahead that we miss the present and what God is doing with us right now. Amen.